Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Sharon Ford with practical ideas on how Christians can support foster and adoptive families. So that the foster family doesn't feel like they're an island all Mm. by themselves. That when God called them to do this work, God brought, remember that if you're called, he brings provision. And I believe that the church is that provision. Sharon Ford, next. The decision to become a foster parent or to adopt is difficult, and sometimes the actual process can be even more challenging and emotional. However, Dr. Sharon Ford, Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family, says the Christian Church is well-equipped to reach out to these families and provide various kinds of support. First, Dr. Ford introduces to foster parenting and at what point it can become an adoption. Definitely. So when families sign up to be foster families, they sign up with the goal of loving that child and hopefully loving that birth family, um, knowing that the goal is for that child to be reunited with their birth family. And so pouring into that child, helping them get to a place of healing and strength and renewal, but also having an opportunity to minister to that birth family, reminding them, I'm not here to steal your child. I'm here to support you in your journey of of being um, whole and healed. And so I'm caring for your child while you do the work that you need to do. On the other hand, families who move forward and say, God, you called me to adopt, Um, it's because the court has made a decision that that child or sibling group are not able to go back home to a safe home. And so the court says, we're terminating parental rights. This child is legally an orphan, legally available for adoption. And so that family is not looking at reunification. They're looking at how can I love on and parent this child for the rest of their life? Um, and, 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 and help um, make up for the shortfalls that might have happened in their life due to trauma um, or, or abuse or neglect. And so they're in it for the long haul, for that journey into uh, adulthood and grandparenting and all that that brings with it. So the prospective foster parent or the foster parent actually has the opportunity to meet the, uh, the, the birth family? Yes, they do in many jurisdictions. Um, they um, foster care workers encourage that foster family to um, help bridge that gap of, of working with that birth family and letting them know this is what I'm doing with your child. This is these are the things we're working on. This is how they're doing in school. Oh, would you like to accompany me to the dental appointment or the medical appointment so that that family who's working really hard to get their child back that there's that connectivity um, and and reunification with the goal is the goal. And so um, they can collaborate and work together. There are other times when it is not safe for that birth family to be connected to that foster family. And the caseworker is going to be able to articulate that and to make sure that that foster family is safe, um, as well as the child that they're caring for. In the period uh, that the child uh, is with a foster family, a foster parent, that varies, right? Depending upon a number of factors. It does. You know, I have known foster families who have had a child for um, three days, I've known other families who had the children for three years. And so it just every case is its own case. Every circumstances every is different. And so, yeah, 
Um, but the focus is always around foster care is reunification when it's safe. And when it's not safe, that the court is making a decision about what's in the best interest of that child. Any idea, uh, Dr. Ford, of numbers, the numbers of children nationally currently in need of of a foster or, or adoptive home? When we think about that nationally, there are over 400,000 children who are in foster care today. And every single day, um, child welfare organizations across the nation get a call about abuse and neglect. So kids are coming into care every single day. Um, of that huge number of 400,000, there are approximately 100,000 children who are legally available today to be adopted. And I can tell you that the age range is from um, um, young children all the way up to 18-year-olds. And you say, well, boy, do, do those teenagers really want a family? Yes, they do. They want to be connected to your family. They want to know that somebody's there for them, that they're not the forgotten. You know, everybody, mm -hmm. oh, everybody wants the little kids, the babies, the young children. Sure. Those teenagers, those preteens, they want families too. Now, how they show up about it is looks different, um, but they still want families. And for those not familiar, and I guess that's probably most of us, my understanding is there is quite a process to becoming uh, either a foster or an adoptive parent, background checks, home visits, some things which are extremely understandable and important. Can you talk a little bit about the process and maybe what might be a disqualifier? You know, Bill, um, you, you, that's a very powerful and important question that you asked, you mentioned about, boy, um, what does it take to become a foster parent? And yes, there are multiple steps involved in that process. We um, state, I say we, because, you know, when you've done something for so many yeah. years, it's still a part of your, your DNA. Mm -hmm. Every child placement agency, which state government is, um, has their own agencies, they want to know how those families come in and participate in orientation. They want to give them a little taste of what it is to be involved with government, to be able to answer their questions. They're going to ask those families to go to training. You say, why? These families, many of these families have parented. Why do they need to go to training? They've never parented a child who's been abused or neglected. They need to have information. They need to know about the paperwork that needs to be filled out. And speaking of paperwork, yes, there's. they have to apply to become a foster family. And as part of that application process, and you mentioned it, background checks, fingerprint-based background checks. They will also do a motor vehicle check. Um, for your driver's license. They, they'll check to see if you're listed on any state database about have you abused a child in your past? Mm -hmm. They need to know all that information. Why? Because it's about safety. We're asking you to temporarily care for a child, and we need to know that your home is a safe place for that child to be, which means also having a um, your home physically looked at Rooms checked. Um, boy, if you live in a rural community, how do you get your water? Yeah. Is it through a well system? So that that needs to be tested. They want the fire department to give you a check for from the fire department saying that your home is a safe place. Um, if you have pets, vaccinations for your pets. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of vaccinations, they want to know, um, will you go to your own physician? Everyone in the home has to have a well person check and your physician signing off saying everybody in this household, 
good to go. They don't have any communicable diseases um, and they have the capacity to care for a child that might be entering their home. And so those are all safety things. And part of that safety thing is they want to have a caseworker who will sit down and have multiple dialogues with you, all the adults in the house and age appropriate conversations with the, any other people who are living in the home to know that, hey, this is a family decision. It's not just mom's decision, not just dad's decision. Anyone who's in, living in the house who's gonna be interacting with that child or those children, they need to know who they are and, and that they have the capacity to um, interact in a safe manner with that child or children. All that's involved in becoming a foster parent. So it, it can be, it sounds like, an emotional process with all of the visits, the paperwork, uh, from a Christian perspective, the praying, certainly the waiting, and sometimes there, there, there is a disqualifier in there, or sometimes there is rejection. Yes, there is. And again, the rejection is about safety. Um, if a person has had um, an abusive uh, behavior themselves, mm -hmm. um, like kind of part of domestic violence, I don't mean the victim of domestic violence, I mean the, that they're the perpetrator of the domestic mm. violence. If they've been someone who has harmed a child in the past, um, and that's in, in a criminal record, um, uh, or it might have been a civil case, those are disqualifiers yep. from caring for a child. Some people always ask, well, when I was young, when I was 18 or 19, I you know, got a DUI. Is that going to keep me from being a foster family? It depends. What were the situation? So being open and honest about your history mm -hmm. and sharing that information so that if it can be mitigated, then fine. You could move forward in the process. But if it can't be mitigated, then there are other ways for you to serve and helping to care for a child without being a, a licensed or a certified foster family. Well, my guest today on His People is Dr. Sharon Ford. She is Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family and a former child welfare worker herself. I think you told me, Dr. Ford, before we did this conversation, uh, 30 years you worked in this field. Yes. Well, let me ask you this. In your opinion, uh, you, you've, you've done this for so long, what for you makes a good candidate for either a foster parent or an adoptive parent what what characteristics what what makeup what what would you what would you look for one of my first things that i say to people is did god call you to this knowing that god has called you into this space makes all the difference in the world mm -hmm. because where god calls you he will provide for you okay yeah and that means that i know that that family is being prayerful and seeking god's will for their life and how they're supposed to interact and be his hands and feet to a child or children who are in need Secondly, having a sense of humor, oh. being able to laugh at yourself, you know, um, so that when children come in and they they haven't had structure, they don't they don't know what works. If you you, you drop some, if they drop a plate, is that going to get them smacked? Because where they came from, it would have gotten them knocked upside the the wall. But oh, hey, I dropped my plate. Oh. Let's get down here. Let's 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 clean it up. Let's get the the, the mop and the bucket, and they make a they make you know a, um, a life lesson out mm -hmm. of it, and not a life hurt out of it. So the other thing is being flexible. Flexibility is boy and child welfare. I can't tell you. A worker's going to call and say, "Well, it's going to happen this way." Well, then they call back three hours later. No, no, no. It's going to be this way. Being able to be flexible is so so important 
for your family and for the children in your home as you um, get involved with government, which government sometimes isn't so flexible, but we need the families to be flexible. Um, being open and honest, um, being a good communicator is so critical. Sometimes these children don't have words for what's going on and what they've experienced, but there's more than um, you're you being able to, to let them know that you are there for them and with them. And sometimes our nonverbal language is a language, as we know, and so being able to sit with a child and wait and to be patient, um, being able to be that child's advocate is so, so critical. Advocate at the school, advocate for their medical care, advocate in sports activities. And I don't mean the, the kind of parent who gets runs out on the field and wants to beat up the ref because the ref made a call against the kid. Mm, right. I mean, advocate that, uh, yes, I'll get you to practice and, oh, you need the uniform and and let's, okay, well, you guys lost the game or it's, it's okay. We can still go out and get an ice cream cone or a burger. Being that advocate who's there to cheer them on, because maybe in their past, no one cheered them on. Being able to um, help take them places so that they can grow. Who, who's, who is that child? What is their culture? How do you preserve their culture in your home? How do you help them um, be grafted into your household, whether they're there again for, for three days or whether they're grafted in for, for three years? How do you help them to make your home home? In terms of, uh, as you say, I mean, this is foster care. There's been some kind of neglect or abuse trauma, which has happened in the in the home of the foster child. I mean, obviously, this will be covered in the training process. But can you give a a point or two about the maybe the the challenge of that and uh, and how what, yeah what what how it might manifest? You know, um, I, I, I remind people that we are not perfect people. And so if we just think about ourselves mm -hmm. and how we were raised um, and, remind, and remind ourselves that, you know, there are in, we are imperfect people and the only perfect person is God. Yeah. And so that means everybody else is imperfect and all the children who are coming into care, they're imperfect. Their birth families are imperfect. And so in that imperfection, how would God use us to love on a child who hasn't had structure, who hasn't had good parenting, hasn't had someone who's good, a good communicator with them, who hasn't been a good listener? How do we in our own imperfection let God use us to be his hands and feet. Mm. And so knowing that this child has had listening from a caseworker, caseworkers only know what they know. They don't know what they don't know. Mm. So kids have experienced things that no one has yet told them so that the, they can't tell that foster family that information. And so being a good listener and, and saying, you know what? We do have a few rules in our home as you come in, but I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to help you and to work with you. Um, and if you can, you know, talk with me and show me or write to me or color, you know, I'm, we're going to do these things together. I want, you know, together. That, that together is so, so critical for children of all ages. Well, Dr. Ford, from where you sit, how are believers, how is the church uniquely equipped to reach out to such vulnerable children, and, and please feel free uh, to point us to any uh, passage of Scripture that might inform that. You know, um, God has His amazing grace, and um, He saved a sinner like me, 
And since we, the Bible says that we are all sinners. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but he redeemed us. And that's a message that I really try to hone in on is that Jesus Christ is our redeemer. And the children who are coming into um, your home as for foster care, you're not the hero. And I, 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 now I have talked to many foster parents like, you're my hero because you stepped up, you stepped in. But Jesus Christ really is the hero mm -hmm. in this. And he uses his bride, the church, to call out the people from the pew to say, will you come and serve? Will you come and do? Will you come make a difference in the life of this child? Well, some of you are called to be foster parents. Some of you are called to be adoptive parents. Some of you are called to to knit a to make a quilt. Some of you are called to be a a court appointed special advocate. Um, some of you are called to uh, to bake. Some of you are called to to come and iron and and do the laundry and fold the clothes and so that on Saturday. Uh, mom and dad get to go on uh, breakfast without the kids and, and you're going to be there while the kids are playing and watching cartoons and but you're going to do the laundry you know or you're going to interact with the kids all of the all, the whole body of Christ oh my god the youth group you're going to come and you're going to rake the leaves and bag the leaves up so that dad can have date day with one of the kids and mom can have date day with the other kid that the whole body of Christ, oh, the senior citizens, oh, you, you were really good at math, you were an accountant, or you were really good at reading and comprehension. This child needs an, a tutor for, you know, after school, you're going to come over to the house while um, I'm cooking dinner and you're going to be sitting with them, helping them with their homework. Oh, wonderful. The hands and feet of God is the whole McGillicuddy of the church stepping forward and only doing what God has asked them to do. My understanding is some churches actually have ministries specifically aimed at supporting foster and adoptive families. I, I love it when I see a church that set, that says we have a foster care and adoption ministry. And when you when you go, when you look and pull back the covers about that, what's going on? Oh, they have a children's ministry that has um, workers who understand abuse and neglect. They understand trauma. They've had the training. They, they understand that this child who's re, who looks like they're being defiant, they're not being defiant. They haven't had structure. Mm -hmm. Noise makes a difference for them. Okay, so they need a sensory room, a, a child's sensory room. Instead of being with the regular kids, they need to be in, in, a, in a, a special room where there's not lights and sounds and um, going off because that triggers them. Um some kids need additional help. So some churches have transition buddies. And so there are people who specifically volunteer on Wednesday night or or, or Sunday um, to be in children's church, to be that child's buddy so that they can be um, appropriate. And the parent doesn't have to leave the service because that child has a buddy. Or when the light, you know, in the sanctuary flashes that child's number, the parent doesn't get up to go and respond to that situation, that child's buddy gets up and leaves the service and goes um, to children's ministry or youth ministry to be with them so that the parents can continue to receive the word of God. What a big difference that makes. And having a foster care and adoption ministry where trained staff, they understand it, they get it. 
um, that the uh, so the children feel safe. The workers have been trained; they're equipped. The youth minister knows that the, for this child, you know, they've had these issues. Okay, so they're they're going to always have maybe a special buddy with them because mm-hmm. um, they need to be in line of sight. And so those things are all worked out, and that child is not made to feel like they don't belong or they're 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 an afterthought. No, no, no. We've planned for you. We are equipped and prepared for you. We're here to love and serve you because you are a part of the body of Christ. And we want we want you to know that you're connected. You're not a leftover. Dr. Ford, I was reading uh, a piece and uh, recently I became aware of what's called wraparound support, that there's a dire need for what's called wraparound support. Maybe you've been describing that already, but I'm wondering, what is that in in, in terms of the foster and adoptive care community? You know, it's so important that um, children who've been impacted by abuse and neglect to know that there, it's not just that foster parent that is there for them. It's not just that caseworker. It's not just their um, legal counsel, their guard, what they call them guardian items, and their legal counsel is there for them, but that there's a community of people who care for them. And those people show up and do acts of kindness. And, 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 and it's so that the foster family doesn't feel like they're an island all by themselves, that when God called them to do this work, God brought, remember that if you're called, he brings provision. And I believe that the church is that provision. And that's where that wraparound supportive services come from. Whether you need a tutor, whether you need someone to um, maybe help cook, you know, bring a meal. Mm -hmm. Boy, when Thursday nights is the night that the kid, the afternoon that the kids go to their counseling sessions. And by the time we get out of school, go to counseling, get home, it's, you know, it's seven o'clock and I still have to fix dinner. No, there's a group of people who every Thursday night they rotate and there's dinner waiting for us. And I, salad and pizza, you know, mm-hmm. meatball, fried chicken, whatever, whatever it is. And it's there. And we come home and we, we we get to have family dinner, do homework, and then go to bed. <laughs> and so, yeah, but it's other people carrying that wraparound so that you're not isolated and you're not alone. That wraparound service looks so, it's so wonderful for when I get calls sometimes here at the ministry at Focus and, and a family says, you know, we just moved to a new community with our adoptive kids and we don't have friends. We need support. And it's like, okay, let me let me go online. Do I know of a church that has that ministry mm-hmm. so that I can get you connected? Because every family needs that. Because otherwise, Satan comes in like a rushing storm, and he tries to overwhelm that family. You're not good enough. Nobody cares about you. Your children are too much. You should have never adopted them. No, no, no. That's a lie of Satan. And having that prayer support from your church, having those wraparound supportive services lets you know, I'm doing just what God called me to do. Dr. Ford, I was uh, reading that 50% of new foster families quit within their first year. And I'm wondering, what are the major reasons for that? How can that be mitigated? I think the number one reason that people quit in the first year is um, they were overwhelmed and isolated. The overwhelming, because there's so much going on. You got to go to court. You got to get the kid to the counseling. You, you, the case, you might have had workers who are turning over because workers turn over too. Sure. And so it's like, there's just too much going on. This is this is havoc. And it's like, no, 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 no. Step back. 
And I, I remind people, what did God call you to the space for? And so let's go back to that. And then, okay, do you have support? And if you don't have support, let's get support in there for you so that you can keep going on. When I, You see, when families have that necessary support, they do stick in. That first year is hard, <laughs> just like a marriage. Your first year of marriage is hard. <laughs> remind you, your dad reminds you, honey, I, I walked you down the aisle and you can spend the night home tonight. But tomorrow I'm, when we get up, I'm taking you back to your husband. Could there, in some cases, maybe be slightly wrong expectations? I mean, you, like you said, uh, coming to the rescue, being the hero, and oh, yeah. all of a sudden, oh, it's, it's not quite what I thought. <laughs> you know, I think the other thing that's important is you don't say yes to everything. You know, it's like, well, my home was licensed for three to five children under between this age. Okay. You don't have to start out with saying, yes, I'll take three. You could say, you know what? We're just getting started in this. I we're we're gonna take one. We're we're gonna take one. We're gonna you know work through that. And, and oh well, but why really? If you would, because workers gonna press because they need homes. Sure, they need they desperately need homes. But don't do more than God has asked you to do. And so do get with your spouse. You guys had that conversation ahead of time. We're just getting in this. We're gonna just take one. And so the worker has the responsibility to explain to you who this child is. They might have an idea how long that child is with you, going to be with you. They might not. Mm-hmm. The circumstances are sifting sand. Um, and then what are the what are the issues that this child is is dealing with? And so knowing that that you're making an informed decision when you and say, okay, God, is this the child we're supposed to welcome into our home? And if God says yes, you say yes. If God says no, saying you don't know, no, sorry, we would love to help, but this isn't the child that we're able to help at this time. Mm-hmm. And don't feel guilty because Satan will come in and say, "Oh no, no, you, you, I, I thought I thought you said you were supposed, to, you were going to help, but you're saying no." God doesn't give you more than you can handle. He he really doesn't. And so, mm. how do we say yes when God says yes? And no one God says no. And it's it's important for us to keep that line um, and not cross it when we're not supposed to. This has been implied throughout the conversation, but this is obviously an amazing opportunity to uh, to introduce kids, whether foster or adoptive, to the amazing love, to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's you're inviting the mission field, if you will, into your home. You, you're so correct, Bill. You know, one of the things Focus on the Family is doing right now is we have a suitcase bundle program, and we are giving suit, brand new um, duffel bag suitcases on wheels um, to kids who are in the foster care system. We're working with different organizations across the United States. So far, we've given out 16,000, mm. and we're, we're, we're uh, primed to give out 20 more thousand. Every, every um, um, duffel bag has a Bible, an age-appropriate Bible, either an Adventures in Odyssey Bible or a teen study Bible and a stuffed animal. Why? Because we want the Word of God to be written on the hearts and the minds of these children. We want God to erase, to wash over the trauma that they've experienced so that His healing can come in. A Christian foster family is the key to that. The Word is the key to that and prayer. Well, Dr. Sharon Ford, my guest today, Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family, and a former child welfare worker herself has had various uh, leadership positions in in that profession. But Dr. Ford, I know our time's about gone, and I've kind of kept you over, and I thank you for letting me do that. But tell us about the services, the help, 
you've kind of touched on it throughout the conversation, but at the end here, that people that are either foster or adoptive parents can avail themselves of from Focus on the Family. First of all, we'd love for them to come and visit our website, which is waitnomore.org, waitnomore.org. Um, and and um, we have a list of resources there that are free and available to people. We also have wonderful articles for people to read. We want people to be informed and encouraged and educated and inspired. Um, I realize that everybody's not called to be a foster parent. And remember, only move into that if God's called you into that. But since he's called everybody to do something, being informed about what is the vast way that God has, there's a continuum of ways that we can serve. Our website will help people know um, some of those different ways. And I'd love to have a conversation to, with them. And there's a place on our website where they can click and send an email and I can have a chat with them. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Sharon Ford, Director of Foster Care and Adoption at Focus on the Family. Go to waitnomore.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Craig Borlace and hear Bruce Hindmarsh on the story of John Newton and his famous song. And this song, I think, has come to be a kind of anthem to be sung at times when we just really need uh need grace, sung after 9-11, sung after the Swiss Air 111 disaster, sung after the Oklahoma City bombing, sung at all these different times of tragedy when life is its very worst. People realize um, in the midst of wretchedness, um, we need grace, we need mercy, we need forgiveness. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.